Oh yes, here we go. Welcome to the Not The Top 20 podcast, Monday podcast with me, Ali Maxwell, and him, George Ellick. We are sponsored by Betfair. Our meat and drink is the EFL, but we like to do some other things as well. FA Cup third round chat where necessary, and it certainly is this week. But also, as we did on this exact weekend or this exact Monday last year, This is the mid-season prediction podcast. George and I will be picking our automatically promoted teams, our playoff contenders, and those we think will fall through various EFL trapdoors on this podcast. It's a biggie, George. It is a biggie, yes. Um, I think it's important at this stage to, probably a little bit unlike our 1-24s, our job here isn't to make bold predictions it's not to predict that teams coming currently 16th they're going to march their merry way into the playoffs not that that won't happen what we've tried to do is come up with the most likely set of events from our point of view Um, as you mentioned this podcast is sponsored by Betfair and I'm gonna point at some of their odds as we go through it I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast aren't betters but often the odds themselves can be quite handy as a means of just understanding probability and how maybe some narratives don't really tally with the actual likelihood of something happening you know there's especially one in the championship where I feel like the general view of championship fans and EFL fans and certainly the fans of the club is that a team is is right there and then you look at the betting markets and they're being given not a very high percentage chance of doing what they're setting out to do so it's interesting annoyingly you and I spent about two hours each at least knowing you you probably spent about 24 hours um, coming up with our picks for our our promoted teams our, our playoff teams and our relegated teams we shared them with each other and I think there are only five individual kind of matchups where we actually disagree so we'll have to go big on those there are uh, some notable differences in opinion i look forward to pulling at the threads uh, later on it's a really exciting pod that we do uh, every year we are not going to ignore what happened in the fa cup third round in leagues one and two as well and that's where we will start george you love possibly more than anyone else i know fa cup third round weekend and mm. I'm not just saying this because I like to start the pod off on a positive note. It really felt like a cracker, pretty much as FA Cup third rounds go, as good as it gets, from the moment the first game kicked off, pretty much until Sunday night where we saw Forrest beating Arsenal. Yeah, I think there was something quite um, big about there being fans at the games, basically. You know, this was the first FA Cup third round in a couple of years where, well, obviously last season um, there weren't. And I think the. You know, I might not be too popular with the FA Cup purists for saying this, but I think the lack of replays really helped. Um, you know, if if as Clive Tilsley said on um, in the commentary on Saturday uh, in the, the the Millwall Palace game, you know, he said at the beginning of that is is the um, the Barrow Ipswich replay from the second round is that going to be the last FA Cup replay ever? And on the basis of what we saw, it wouldn't be a massive surprise if it was. And, and given you know, fixture, um, congestion. You know, we saw the the Wigan owner release a statement over the weekend talking about the need for for fewer games and for player welfare's needs. We need to look at how many fixtures there are in the calendar. You know, this weekend was incredible. And the drama we saw in extra time and in penalties too um, was so special that it wouldn't... I don't think the FA Cup would lose too much. I, I know the there will be a frustration sometimes that certain clubs, you know, you look at the Barrow 
results. Um, Barrow drawing four all in normal time at Barnsley, and in another reality, in another universe, they would have been able to take Barnsley back to Barrow, which would have been a, a massive occasion and probably on television and the rest of it. But at the same time, given they were two 0 down and down to ten men at half time, if you know, if uh, getting you know was the the mechanism of having extra time and penalties, the catalyst towards having such a crazy game, possibly. So uh, I thought it was amazing. And what I love about it so much, you know, and it's something that I was tweeting about on, on Saturday night is, you know, you, you look at Cambridge fans, you look at Kidderminster fans, you probably look at Barrow fans, Forest fans, you know, these, there isn't another weekend. Another weekend in the football calendar does not exist where you can be absolutely sure that four, five, six sets of fans go home from a game, a home game or an away game, having had probably the highlight of their season, maybe the highlight of the last five seasons, maybe, you know, in, in when they look back at their career of watching their team play football, an FA Cup game will always be there. And that's what makes it so special. So an amazing weekend, absolutely loved it. And I'm looking forward to creating a new podcast about the FA Cup with you next season. Let's just touch on a couple of our highlights. Now, two years ago, we went to Newcastle for an FA Cup fourth round game. Oxford United were playing against Newcastle United, Oxford of League One up at Newcastle and you very kindly uh, invited me along and we had a great time <laughs> up in the gods watching Oxford manage a very creditable nil-all draw with Newcastle which prompted a replay back at the Cass a couple of weeks later which we went to as well 94th minute Nathan Holland equaliser sent the game into extra time before Sam Maximan's class showed we watched a lot of League One versus Newcastle. And I think we knew, and you certainly did by listening to last week's betting show, that as Premier League clubs go, there's something about them that seems to make them a little vulnerable. But we can never truly understand what Cambridge United fans went through on Saturday. Surely the story of the weekend, if not the giant killing, quote unquote, with the most uh, league positions between two clubs. That went to Kidderminster's win against Championship Reading. But this surely looked like the away day of the year for those Cambridge United fans. It wasn't a bad 2021 for them. 2022 has started pretty well as well. Yeah, I mean, it was funny with the betting show because I, you know, I did, I did call it. Um, but a lot of what I said was nonsense because I spoke about how Newcastle as a club and as a fan base don't really seem to get too involved and you only had to watch the highlights and read about the incredible um, turn up, turnout from, from Newcastle fans and the amazing atmosphere they created to see that this wasn't, you know, the, if you compare um, the game that we went to go and see at St James's Park a couple of years ago to what we saw in the weekend, um, they, it was effectively two different clubs because, um, you know, clearly under the new ownership, there is a renewed vigour and a renewed optimism at Newcastle. So I didn't get that part right. But certainly in terms of the, the game itself, um, it was just a classic, perfect cup tie. And the fact that it wasn't being played in front of a, a half a half full stadium, the fact that it was a, a first team effectively put out by Newcastle just makes it all the better. Um, Cambridge taking their chance. Um, I mean, and it wasn't their only chance. It wasn't as if Newcastle were, were battering them all game. Um, but Ironside doing with a very smart turn and finish uh, to go one up. Mitov making plenty of saves. Mitov's interview post-match should go down as in <laughs> as one of the great FA Cup interviews where he talks about how Ironside is his, is his roommate. They show house together and just keeps talking about how he's one of the nicest guys in the world, which I, I absolutely loved. So, um, yeah, just an, an amazing uh, result for Cambridge who performances in recent weeks have been very good Mark Bonner 
what he's doing at that club just is incredible. You know, this is our our podcast where we're we're doing our mid-season predictions, but let's look back at our pre-season predictions where we had Cambridge coming 24th. They are sitting mid-table. They've knocked out a Premier League team away from home in the FA Cup. Uh, This is a guy who has never managed a football team before and is the youngest manager in the EFL as well. It is incredible and joyous to watch. You're so right. Uh, my my the start of my notes about this just were the two words Mark and Bonner copy and pasted about ten times because I certainly feel I guess guilty of not going big enough on Bonner and what he's done over the last eighteen months or so. I think hopefully there have been many a time where we've praised him, where we've pointed out some brilliant aspects of his management and his start to his management career. Clearly, the fact that we didn't predict Cambridge to do particularly well last season, we didn't always feel convinced that they would stay the course, and we predicted them to be relegated in League One this season, means that it feels like we're sort of anti-Cambridge to an extent. And, and it's a bit of a weird place to be, because as you've just alluded to, this has been a 10 out of 10 start to management by pretty much every single measure. I mean, First and foremost, leaving football aside, the man represents his football club and his community in the the best possible way that a manager could. Now, a large part of that is by default because he stood in the terraces and watched Cambridge United as a young man. He would have watched John Beck's teams and those rather fun Cambridge United teams of of the 90s that I think a lot of us um, either remember from real life or in my case from championship manager games early on uh, in my life. And he stood in the terraces, he worked his way up. He hasn't only ever been at Cambridge, he did a few bits and bobs elsewhere, but for the most part he has come from within like a star youth academy graduate player who becomes your star man. That's what he's done as manager. And then on a footballing perspective, I think the thing to point out is they don't have any star players, really. And you might say, well, Paul Mullins scored over 30 goals last season. Yeah, and I'm giving credit to the manager there. It's not that Mullin takes no credit whatsoever, but for someone who has played a fair amount of football at the same level and never scored to that extent, you know, the way we tend to think about goal scorers and teams that produce goal scorers is that it is a huge part down to the team itself and how well they function. So Bonner deserves a lot of credit for that. People talk about Wes Houlihan a lot because he's one of the most popular, uh, I was going to say EFL players, but English football's sort of players over the last decade or so Houlihan has to be up there as one of the most generally popular but Houlihan has only started 11 games in the league this season if you were thinking based on what you'd read online and tweets about Wessie and all that stuff that Cambridge were only good because they have Houlihan playing for them you'd be missing 90% of what makes them good um, I didn't see the whole game against Newcastle but I can only imagine that albeit Mitov had, had to have a worldie of a game they're always so well drilled out of possession they always compete well, almost always compete to the extent that you would want them to as a fan. They're so consistent in that. Um, and there's just so much to like about them. Now, neither of us think that Cambridge United will be relegated from League One this season, which means we expect another year in League One. A bit like Cheltenham Town, perhaps, who went up with them, who we're seeing to start maybe turn over some of that squad and try and build a squad that's uh, a bit more befitting of what is a very strong League One. The next step for Bonner and for Cambridge will be to to rebuild a squad or turn over a squad over a couple of windows and just continue from here. It's probably not going to be on this upward trajectory forever, um, but I can't wait to see what does happen. And, and they were certainly for us the story of the weekend. Kiddy beating Reading was a big one. Boreham Wood deserved winners against Wimbledon as well. More EFL clubs losing to non-league outfits. Uh, need to shout out Huddersfield beating Burnley as well. 
um, you were good enough to suggest that although you called Cambridge uh, giving Newcastle a tough time on the betting show and I did the same for Huddersfield against Burnley, you said that some of what you said wasn't true. I'd probably say the same about some of the things I said about Burnley because they did play a fairly strong team and they did go one up in this game but Huddersfield did brilliantly to turn it around and win we saw what else do we see Hartlepool they rode a bit of luck in the first half against Blackpool the truffle pig his scent is a little off at the moment missed some big chances and Pools came back in the second half and beat Blackpool excellent stuff Argyle battered Birmingham City everyone who was at that game who we heard from on the Sunday scouting reports or on the NTT20 squad you know the, the sense I got was it was a championship performance against a league one performance but the teams were, were the wrong way around it was a brilliant goal from Law to win it as well and Barnsley 5 Barrow 4 was just well you just have to go and watch the highlights of that on the BBC website there's a good package with some local Barrow commentary over the top which I would recommend because it's about as good as football gets even if they don't end up going through against a, a Barnsley side whose fans were I think a bit bemused about the whole affair having been tuned up against 10 men there and only just getting past them 5-4 and one individual I want to shout out because I haven't really seen this very often on our Sunday scouting reports the amount of Coventry City fans George who tweeted us about Derby's Festi Eversele it sounds like he had one of the most eye-catching individual displays of the season uh, up against Fankati Darbo who is a a fan favourite at Coventry who very rarely is uh, gotten the better of so to speak by an opposition player uh, but he certainly was by Ebersele, and that continues his impressive last few months. We look forward to seeing more and more of him. Have you got anything else to say on the FA Cup third round? If not, get us cracking with League One, because we're not going to do as in-depth analysis as we would ordinarily do. We've got bigger fish to fry this podcast, but why don't you do the League One top lines, George, and then I'll do League Two. Well, I think we have to start with the early game that was live on Sky, uh, Wickham against Sunderland. Uh, everybody... Who watched this game? Um, some of us were, were foolishly blindsided by the prospect of watching both Eberi Eze and, and um, Michael Olise playing in the same side. But I did catch a fair bit of it and watched um, watched most of the rest. And it was a brilliant game. Um, I think the key parts to point out here, Ross Stewart, uh, incredibly unlucky not to get a hat-trick. Uh, a towering header for the first that went in off David Stockdale's underside um, before before bouncing in. And then two brilliant strikers finishes. One great run, uh, a cross goal flicked into the far corner and then an amazing finish for the goal that Sunderland fans would have thought was the winner. Um, a kind of quite strange uh, curling along the ground, uh, shot into the corner. Um, but Wickham did what Wickham do and they stayed in there. They frustrated an amazing goal line clearance from Joe Jacobson as well that kept them in the game uh, before Jacobson was the one person to bundle the ball over the line as he so often is. Uh, an amazing game and one of those where Sunderland will come away from it feeling like they played very well, feeling like they deserve three points, feeling frustrated that they were unable to hit top spot uh, and get those three points there. Um, but certainly it feels like Sunderland's performances over the last few weeks have taken on a new gear because um, there was a period where they weren't playing too well. That has changed. Ipswich for Gillingham nil. This saw the end of Steve Evans's reign in charge of Gillingham. He's left the club um, through a mutual agreement. I wonder if Gillingham fans and maybe the Gillingham owner Wish they'd been slightly more receptive to the interest from Stevenage a couple of weeks back where they refuted and refused any contact only to then sack him a couple of weeks later. Gillingham incredibly poor and I think we're going to talk about them a bit later but it's hard to really have much optimism when it comes to them making a new appointment. Ipswich on the other hand was superb, um, took the lead with a a James Norwood goal. I think any chances of him making way this season, uh, I think if Ipswich are looking for another striker, given they've got Piggott, given they've got Bond, and given they've got an informed James Norwood, I'm not sure they need too much else. Uh, Burns 
Bon and then a Chaplin penalty rounded it off. Daniel Phillips with one of the stupidest red cards you're ever going to see, a booking for descent followed by a booking for the most blatant of, of tugbacks from a, a counter-attack as well. Fleetwood's got a 1-0 win against um, relegation... Well, you know, they're one of their rivals uh, in order to try and beat the drop. Um, Ellis Harrison signed for the club just before the game started here and got his first goal of the season with a close-range finish. Um, Gary McSheffrey's start in charge of Doncaster, continuing to be tricky, uh, but Stephen Craney doing a decent job in its infancy there. A couple of one-all draws, Accrington, MK Dons, uh, Accrington... With a man sent off after taking the lead through Colby Bishop, Moisa got the equaliser. Liam Coyle with a, a a kick to the to the Nadgers, I think is the way we'll call it, um, which ended up getting him a red card, uh, which seemed pretty harsh. Uh, second half was all MK, but they couldn't find a way through, and Accrington probably take a point, although disappointed with the terms that it came under, given the the red card. Uh, Charlton Burton, Charlton Callum Wright. Scoring in yet another goal. He's having a bit of a, a purple patch in front of goal at the moment, uh, taking the lead 1-0. They were very, very good first half. Uh, Dan Nlundulu uh, starting his first game up top. They're bringing in loads of players at the moment. Um, it's interesting to see how they're approaching the January transfer window, a team who seemingly don't have much chance of going down and don't have much chance of going up, deciding to spend big to bring players in. Um, Aaron Ramsey from Aston Villa, a player who's been linked for a loan move as well, which would be pretty eye-catching. Um, but Burton were able to come back into it through Daniel Jebison, although Evans will feel in goal for Charlton like he could have done better. Uh, and then finally, I think, a game we're not going to dwell too long on, uh, Lincoln to Oxford and Hill. I couldn't have called this more wrong on the betting show. Lincoln just battered Oxford throughout the whole game. I'm not entirely sure where this performance came from. Uh, Scully, Maguire, Whitaker on his debut were all superb. Didn't really give Oxford a, a, a kick. Uh, Matt Taylor missed a decent chance at 0-0 and then had a header ruled out but um, this was a fully deserved win for Lincoln and, and a performance that Michael Appleton will hope will instigate the start of the recovery as they try and push themselves away from the relegation zone over to Ali Maxwell League 2 reporter a couple of very nice bits of creative passing from, from Fiorini on loan from Man City and that's in that Lincoln win uh, both goals came essentially from him with the vision to switch play when it was necessary and uh, and, and they did the damage there on the far side, uh, League Two reporter Ali Maxwell will start with Tranmere Rovers' 4-0 win against Scunthorpe, which makes it six wins in a row for the Super White Army. Five clean sheets in a row as well. Not for the first time this season, Tranmere have managed to put something of a hex on opposition finishing, something of a shield around their goal, and it's paying dividends. Most notably, they are scoring goals as well, a little more than they had done previously. This was their most shots on target in a game this season in League Two. I guess the overriding question is, to what extent was this Scunthorpe being bad or Tranmere being good? And we'll probably find out more from the Tramere perspective in the coming weeks. But it'll be very welcome to have two young forwards, Jolly and Nevitt, on the score sheet because, of course, uh, goals, or rather individual goal output, has been something that Tramere have struggled for this season. Jolly, since he came into the forward line, a young player has brought a lot of energy, stretching defences and scored a nice goal. Um, I don't think either him or Nevitt need to become prolific individually, as mentioned, but a mixture of those two, plus a new signing, McPake, who was good in League Two on loan last season at Harrogate. Kieran Morris, another threat from wide areas they have to combined need to keep providing this kind of goal threat against all opposition not just Scunthorpe um, but they're in amazing form 11 goals conceded 
from 27.6 expected goals against per Opta analyst. It's one of the maddest things I've ever seen. I don't understand it necessarily. I'm happy just to call Peter Clark a 40-year-old wizard and move on. As for Scunny, that defeat to Carlisle after a win against Oldham looks like it knocked the stuffing out of them and whether that's temporary or permanent remains to be seen. Crawley creeping up the table. Uncut Yems' boys doing the job at Northampton. Big surprise result this one, which is, well, it's exactly what Crawley deal in, isn't it? Uh, Tom Nichols with a nice finish. Glenn Morris in goal, as good as ever, in sparkling form at the moment. And the midfield two of Frankham and Powell are doing exactly what you want them to. But 17 shots from Cobblers to the three of Crawley Town. Yems, to be fair, he knew it. He said, Northampton are a good side. Credit to them. How they haven't scored today, I don't know if I'm totally honest. And I just thought it was worth pointing out that while John Yems sometimes is criticised for the uh, sharpness of his post-match interviews, he's the sort of person that would say that he's the sort of person that says it how it is. And if you're going to be the sort of person that says that you're the sort of person that says it how it is, then you have to be honest at all times. And at least he's upholding that part of the bargain here, admitting that he couldn't understand how Cobblers didn't score. As for Northampton... Well, they don't go behind very often, which is a good trait, but they need to get better when they do. Only Scunthorpe and Oldham have been worse at equalising once behind, and Northampton need to improve on that for sure. Newport nil, Salford 2. Newport started brighter here, but then Salford took control after a couple of uncharacteristically missed chances from Dom Telford. Back-to-back league wins for the first time this season for Salford City. It's something I've banged on about every time we've spoken them about them on a Monday pod after they've won. I'm going to say with three weeks between the two league games, I'm tempted to say it doesn't count and I'm going to continue to lay down the gauntlet. They've got Tranmere on Tuesday, Salford. That's how you can show that you can definitely win back-to-back. Newport, poor performance from them. Dimitri and Wilmot not covering themselves in glory for the second goal from Brandon Thomas Asante. Stevenage got a huge win. 3-1 against Walsall. Big, big, big stuff for Paul Tisdale and this Stevenage side. The first time they've scored three this season. Some good performances throughout. Um, and yeah, I, I've i got to be careful here. I learned a lesson getting too excited about a good half from Scunthorpe against Oldham in victory the other week. I predicted that it would see them kick on and they haven't. Uh, I thought the confidence gained could see them improve and they didn't. So that's the the challenge for Stevenage. Um, they've got the next two games at home to Sutton and Crawley. Can they do this again and pick up some more wins to move themselves away from the bottom two? Carlisle have won three in a row as well. Imagine having a stance, George, in your year of the stance that Carlisle's wins against Stevenage and Scunthorpe didn't suggest that they were actually good. Well, they started to prove me wrong here. Beat this Bradford side with another clean sheet. Callum Guy playing very well in midfield. The centre-backs looking strong. And a bit of stardust from two former Bradford players. Gibson, who is clearly their star man when he's on his game, scored a cracker. Omari Patrick, an individual cracker as well, making Kelleher, the centre-back of Bradford, look like a little kid, shrugging him off, beating him for pace and then slotting it into the corner. He's only just arrived, Patrick, along with Omotoye, and maybe those two in the forward line could give them something that they've lacked all season. They're certainly feeling good about life under Keith Millen. Three wins in a row for Carlisle. Bradford fans not happy about this one. And why would they be both former players scoring against them? Gibson pointing to the name on the back of his shirt. Patrick running 60 metres to shush them. Fair enough. Why wouldn't they? Two home games up next for Carlisle, Crawley and Hartlepool. This run could continue. OK, hand breathe. Well done. 20 minutes or so to kick off talking about the weekend. That was the target we set. We didn't hit the target exactly. 24 minutes we've reached, but... I've been trying to think a lot recently about habit forming, George, about resolutions and things like that. 
It's not about constantly setting yourself targets and then demanding that you hit them and then being really down on yourself if you don't. It's about setting targets, doing your best to get there. Sometimes you will. Praise yourself. Make yourself feel good. It'll make you want to do better and better. And if you just miss out, fine. We've still done what we set out to do. We've still broken down a busy weekend in 24 minutes. And now it's time for the main event. Mid-season predictions. As mentioned, last year in this exact week, we ran a predictions competition. Predict the seven automatically promoted teams. We ran this competition on Twitter. 133 people entered. You only had to predict the names of seven automatically promoted teams. And no one got more than four out of seven. Is that not unbelievable? Let that sink in. Halfway through the season, 133 entries. No one got more than four out of seven. And I hope that sets the tone for what we're about to do because sometimes it can feel quite easy to look at a league table and know what's going on. But with last year in mind, I've realised it's anything but. Now, they had played a couple of games less this time last year because of the late start to the season. That may have made it a bit harder then, but it just shows how tough it's going to be. Norwich, George and Swansea were the top two in the Championship at the time. Watford was sixth. And only four of 133 people picked them to finish in the autos. Only one of 133 picked Bolton to win automatic promotion in League Two. That was Joe Fares. They were 17th in League Two at that time. It just shows what it's all about. We're going to do our best and we're going to run a competition alongside it. But this year, the predictions competition is exclusively for NTT20 squad members. NTT20 squad is a community of EFL and NTT20 fans, 130 strong, run through Leveller. This is a Telegram community. We have channels for Championship, League One, League Two, for general chit-chat. There's a betting-specific channel. There's a gaming-specific channel. There's a lot going on there and a lot of very, very good people. We would suggest that you join the NTT20 squad and you can do so with a two-week free trial so you do not have to pay the monthly subscription fee at all until you've checked it out for two weeks. We would encourage you to do that anyway because it is a genuinely amazing place. But particularly if you want to put your hat in the ring for the mid-season predictions competition, there will be prizes. Last year, it was a £50 voucher at Classic Football Shirts and a £50 donation to the charity of your choice this year we're ramping it up just follow the link in our bio to join the ntt20 squad on leveler today two week free trial so that you can check out if it's right for you and if not you can cancel with no charge whatsoever and in the meantime this is what we think george the championship the top two talk me through it <sighs> well when you listening to you talking there about what happened last season makes me um, feel embarrassed by how standard um, my predictions are basically across all the leagues. Um, although, you know, at the time of recording, it is a Bournemouth Blackburn top two. For the majority of the season, it's been a Fulham Bournemouth in some order top two. And despite certainly Fulham um, currently enduring a, a very difficult run of form. Uh, Bournemouth look to have got back on the straight and narrow after beating uh, QPR and Cardiff. Um, I think those are going to be the top two. Now, West Brom fans will probably be the ones listening who would be the most uh, put out by that, especially with the, the recent um, positivity surrounding the uh, signing of Daryl DK. I think the, the crucial thing here to me is that I, I do think those three teams 
are the top three. I think they are the best three teams. I think they are the teams who will finish first, second, and third. And that's no slight on Blackburn, whose performances up to this part, up to this stage so far have been incredibly important. But in order for West Brom to usurp Blackburn, they are four points behind them with pretty much the same goal difference, having played the same amount of games. Do I think West Brom are in for four more points than Blackburn over the course of the season, given they've had a pretty poor start of the season and picked up 42 points from 25 games, given that they've got a striker who's going to completely change the way that they play, even though, as I said last week on the Monday pod, I'm not convinced um, that they will be... <laughs> is he going to change uh, the way they play or is he going to fit perfectly into the way that they play? Well, he's going to fit perfectly into the way they play and make it more effective. But I still stand by what I said where this isn't going to be... He's going to arrive and they're going to be the best team in the league. So that was my thinking between those two. But that comes more into the playoff picture. With Fulham and Bournemouth, you know, Bournemouth have a seven-point lead currently over West Brom, having played the same amount of games. That feels to me, given Bournemouth's quality of their squad and the quality of their manager, a pretty unsurmountable lead, in my view. Bournemouth would have to go through a major slump. They've already been through one recently. It would have to be far worse than that. So long as they... The one thing that would concern me is if um, Newcastle make a bid for Dominic Solanke that properly tests Bournemouth's resolve. That would be a concern because I think he's incredibly important to the way they play. I don't think Jamal Lowe would be... Um, they would have to go out and buy a replacement for him. And as West Brom have found, that kind of striker isn't necessarily too easy to find. But I do think Bournemouth have enough and I'd be very surprised if they're not in the top two. With Fulham, and I, you know, I know we've got a lot of teams to get through, so I'm going to make this brief. M- my biggest concern with Fulham has been how poor they've been or how poor their results have been so far this season when they've gone behind in games. I think they've only picked up one point in the league from games where they've gone behind. And that has been um, against uh, Bournemouth, where they drew the game 1-0, having gone 1-0 down at home. So looking at the data, I thought I would check if there's kind of a, a reason for this. You know, Arsenal have had a similar issue this season, where, whereas with them in the Premier League, when they've gone ahead, they've been incredibly poor. I wanted to see, and that was played out in the data. But with Fulham, their um, XG ratio when, um, when behind is the best in the whole division, remarkably. So their XG ratio when they're behind is 82%. Over the course it's of 90 minutes... not that surprising, is it? Like, in, in eye test terms. I know you're talking about the results in eye test terms. I think it kind of is. Like, I think if I think back to some of the games where I've, I've watched them, like the, the Sheffield United game in particular, where they, they, they didn't seem to me to be particularly threatening. I know against Bournemouth they were a bit better... But, but they very rarely has, give up many chances when they're ahead because it often becomes a of case course. of attack v defence. And I'm not saying of that course. means they're suddenly dominant, but teams and and maybe there's maybe the question is how do they create even more against teams that bunker in? Well, and I was also going to say the only caveat to this is that it's kind of self fulfilling where because they have been unable to get back on level terms when they go behind, that means that they are behind for longer. And therefore, the pressure is only going to increase. So, I mean, it's not foolproof, but I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not like when you're looking at the table, Fulham are suddenly a side who, when they're behind, they're very poor. Like We would expect that issue that they've got at the moment of being unable to get themselves back into games when going behind to um, to it, it kind of alleviate itself. And it's, it's, you know, a, it's at- kind of, it's really stretching for things to get too worried about, right? They've They've been behind for almost no time really i mean the second lowest amount of time in the division 276 minutes borough but picked up one the point only, from that the time. only team better than that uh, in terms of not being behind at any point in games i, I think it, i think it's the only thing to be worried about right i think if you're, if you're looking at their season so far they're, they're basically a small handful of games which you've just mentioned there where they've gone behind and those are the only games that have prevented them from basically winning every game 
like i've realized that i agree with with what you're saying basically yeah yeah so but if I that's mean, the if that's the biggest thing to be worried about that's the best exactly. biggest thing that any team has to be worried about if you know what i mean exactly yeah right. so i agree I, I, and you look at their squads you know the there have been some rumors about Mitrovic's future which i'm i'm sure won't be the case he's obviously going through a, a poor run at the moment um it, it, and you look at their you know the, the key thing is at the time of recording they are going through a run of five games without a win in the league but I think that run is not going to last very long. The next three games are Reading away, Bristol City at home, Birmingham at home. I would be amazed if come the end of January, they're not in a far better position uh, in terms of the league table. So, yeah, it's not particularly glitzy or glamorous, although I guess because of the way that those two teams that I've picked, that we, uh, I've, I've said there, have, have gone about their business recently, there have been, you know, this looked like a, a closed shop a few weeks ago, and that's not the case now. Um, but I think come the end of the season, it will be those two at the top of the at the top of the championship, winning promotion automatically to the Premier League. This is not an occasion where we disagree. I think Fulham, despite not exactly looking bulletproof in this run of four draws and a defeat, winless in five, I am not in the least bit concerned. And you've more or less uh, explained it. I, I just think there's such a big difference in how it looks and feels when Fulham have dropped points compared to when West Brom, let's say, or Bournemouth, or certainly any other team, even more so, when those teams drop points. It's, it's, you know, it's. I don't want to big up Fulham too much. I know they're not even top of the league at the moment. That's mostly due to games they've had postponed. But they they, they play with such a dominance generally that the, the times they drop points, as you say, it's when they've just been frustrated having been behind and they haven't necessarily worked out exactly how to come back. But in general play... Uh, they are very, very dominant and I'm not in the least bit concerned about that suddenly slipping up, Marco Silva losing his grip on that uh, or anything in particular. Uh, the second one I found quite tough. I think probably like you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I probably went into this looking for a challenger to Bournemouth and feeling that they might be vulnerable and I probably came out of it feeling more bullish about a Bournemouth automatic promotion than I did beforehand and that is in a large part down to the points that they have on the board. I spent a lot of time, George, as you predicted, with my notepad, picking out teams, working out, okay, if they get two points per game from this point and Bournemouth get 1.6 points per game from this point, which is, I mean, probably even lower than the lowest that I expect them to, would they be ahead of Bournemouth? Oh, no, Bournemouth would still be ahead of them because of the points they've already accrued. I don't think that they're going to pick up 1.6 points per game anyway. I think that even if they're, even if they have picked up more points up to this point than they will do from this point I still can't see them completely falling up off a cliff they've got a very strong squad there are probably still some question marks about Parker if you're being really pernickety um, in terms of of turning one of the best squads in the league into a fully dominant force I'm sure Fulham fans would point to the fact that they had a very good strong squad last time they were at this level and they only went up through the playoffs and quite often flattered to deceive and now Silva is turning them into the team that I've described as being quite a dominant team there are times George where Bournemouth have dropped points this season looking relatively ordinary dare I say it um, but you could say the same about West Brom particularly recently not a great vibe is it not a great run of form performances as we've said in the last few weeks have visibly dipped so you're asking a lot from DK at this point the only thing I'd say about West Brom, there'll be a lot of people listening to this podcast who live by the data, die by the data. There'll be a lot of people listening to this podcast who've never looked at an XG ratio table in their life. Um, in in the middle, there's a lot of people as well. To pick West Brom would be to, 
to take a leap of faith in the underlying numbers. If you look at Fox Punter's XG ratio tables, they don't give up chances, and that's pretty consistent. They do create chances, and that's pretty consistent, albeit dropping a tiny bit recently. Maybe not in the sexiest way, but they consistently do. And if you think DK does a lot for that, and if you think there's a chance that a good run could build confidence and these woes in front of goals could be wiped away into something a little more prolific, a little more precise, then you know the bones of what they do is really still pretty good for what football's all about, and that is creating opportunities and uh, stopping the opposition from doing so. You've obviously got Blackburn, seven wins and two draws in their last nine game, has them second. You know The big question at the moment is, does this run level out <laughs> will they keep picking up that many points no and what happens when the run levels out at what level does it run out to i don't think as much as we have gone big on tony mowbray with relish in the last few months that you can rule out his blackburn side having a run of six to eight games a blip if you will in which they drop and, points. and the brits and diaz thing has to come into it where we cannot sit here with much confidence and say he'll be their player in february mm. and, and therefore i think predicting them for a top two finish now would be nothing short of irresponsible <laughs> i agree i agree and you know what george there's a team called middlesbrough and i love them and i even backed them to finish in the top two the other week at 40 to one and i was pretty excited about it and only when i really started to work things out properly for this podcast did i realize that that's almost certainly not going to happen even if i think they could be the best team in the league or the second best team in the league from this point i think there's probably a bit too much ground to make up between them and teams who I don't see slipping away hugely. If you take Watford's run, you know, we mentioned that when we did this last season, they were sixth and they ended up second. Watford, I think, won 17 of their last 24 games. They picked up 2.25 points per game from this stage to go from sixth to second. Even if Borough hit that point, and it's hard to imagine any championship team doing better than that, you're looking at 86 points. And in all my calculations for all the teams, I didn't have 86 points likely being enough for second place. So uh, I can't pick Borough in good faith, sadly. I'm going with Bournemouth with Fulham as well. Uh, the strongest factor there is the points that they already have on the table. As you say, it's not an, it's not an exciting conclusion in many ways, but for me, it's, it's the most likely. Uh, my playoffs four, West Brom for sure, Middlesbrough for sure. Those are my two locks, I would say. Blackburn are in for sure. As I say, I don't think you can rule out a blip, but this isn't necessarily a case of just streaky finishing or a big hot streak. Yeah, they're overperforming their numbers a little bit in this 9-10 game run, but you watch them, there's a lot to like in pretty much all areas of the pitch. It's a, it's a group of players who complement each other very well, who are improving together, developing together, and therefore you know, it might not be the sort of squad that would have stood out at the start of the season, but by the end of the season this group of players' performances will elevate them to a new level in the minds of, of people who follow the championship. I'm putting Blackburn in. And then, George, it's the big one, isn't it? You know, the last playoff spot in the championship. There's a few options here. QPR are in it at the moment. Huddersfield are in it at the moment. You've got the, the group of teams that I'm calling the disruptors. Middlesbrough probably one of, of them. Of course you are. <laughs> particularly Nottingham Forest and Sheffield United. I would say those two are the disruptors. I'd like to know, before I reveal my fourth playoff team, who you've got in your four championship playoff places. Or Stoke, yeah, I should so mention Stoke as being part of the conversation <clears throat> as well. Are they disruptors too? No, they've been disrupted by Harry Suter's injury and that's why I'm not okay. picking them because they look quite... Um, uh, did you see how many chances Leighton Orient created against them in the Cup on the weekend? It was... Yeah. They looked not like a Michael... They, they did not look like a Michael O'Neill solid Stoke defensive team. 
Um, this is the magic of the cup, mate. Um, championship, yeah. So West Brom and Borough, I completely agree with you. Um, Blackburn, I've got in there too. I think points on the board here. You know, they've got forty-six points in twenty-five games. Even if they were to lose um, Britain Diaz, even if their form does regress a bit, it'll take an almighty slump for them to to come back to the pack. When you're looking at the likes of Nottingham Forest, who are twelve points behind them, having played the same amount of games, um, you know, it's a pretty small target on their back. Um, this is, you know. The team that I'm picking for my fourth playoff spot is Sheffield United. Um, the disruptors. Now, now that might surprise some. Um, it, this is one of those where the betting markets are very interesting because I have Sheffield United ahead of QPR, who are currently occupying a playoff berth. Um, the odds reflect what I thought, and that's not why I'm picking this. But you know, Betfair have Sheffield United as, as odds odds on at ten to eleven to finish in the top six. They've got QPR at even money, so they agree with my prediction that I mean, very very marginally. I like the Sheffield idea that United, on, a, on a Thursday before we do the betting show, you you desperately hope that the betting odds don't reflect your opinions. And, <laughs> and for this very particular podcast, you. Well, for, for oh, no, I was just I was surprised because basically when I when I came up with this, I went online to check what price they were to see if I wanted to back them, and then I saw that they are basically favourites to do that, which I, I didn't necessarily see coming. Um, you know what I mentioned? I, I kind of tease quite a boring tease at the top about a um, you know a side where the the narrative and the idea around them is that they're bang there. Nottingham Forest seem to be seen as being one of those teams very much within a and they are within a chance very much kind of on the on the outskirts of a, of a playoff berth they are um 13 to 2 with with betfair um sportsbook to finish in the top six they're basically the same price as millwall who are seven to one um who aren't really in the conversation at all and, and that just goes to show especially this season because of the amount of games played because of the um the postponements and the rest of it being ninth just outside the playoffs isn't necessarily an accurate representation of where you are. Now, a lot of Forest fans listening to this might think, hold on, 13-2, to two, that's a massive bet. And, and I'm not going to argue with them with that. But um, it might not be seen as being quite as um, controversial as, um, as as it may seem. Anyway, but with Sheffield United, they are currently 13th on 32 points. They've sacked a manager. Um, they've had a, a pretty poor start to their season. But crucially, they've only played 22 games. They played 22 games and they are uh, eight points off the playoffs with four games in hand on, on the team who currently sit in sixth, which is Huddersfield. So for kind of a, a pure points per game ba- uh, kind of basis, they are r- much, much closer to the playoff picture than, than it seems. Looking at the XG ratio table as well, they are a side who at the moment are trending very much in the right direction. Their XG ratio for the last four games uh, has them fifth. The XG ratio for the last uh, eight games has them fifth as well. Uh, and there have been quite clear, obvious, obvious reasons to get excited about what they are doing under Paul Heckenbottom since he took over. Now, I still think that Slavica Kanovic is probably a better manager than Heckenbottom, but for whatever reason at the moment, whether this would have happened under Kanovic or not, they are playing well. We saw them go to Craven Cottage last time in the league and put in a great performance, taking the lead 1-0, and then, as I mentioned earlier, not really looking threatened by a team who I anticipate will finish in the top two. Uh, plenty of talent across the team as well. Um, why do I have them above QPR? Well, I mean, QPR come into this in very good form as well, and I don't think there's necessarily a great deal between the two sides. But going back to what I was saying earlier, in terms of just a match bet between these two sides, there are currently nine points separating them and two games in hand Sheffield United have. So I'm basically asking them to make up, say they get 
I don't know, three points from those games in hand. Ask them to make up six points on QPR. There's been enough in QPR's recent form to have me slightly concerned. Now, I know they're playing well and they're picking up points, but I'm not convinced that their performance levels have been as good as they as we've seen previously in the campaign. And that has been reflected massively in the XG ratio tables as well. Their bottom half, last four, bottom half, last eight as well. Um, picking up, you know, their fans will say that picking up uh, results whilst not playing particularly well is important uh, I think their lack of I mean certainly Austin's lack of goals troubles me um, you know I think they're a better side when they've got a reliable source of goals I do like QPR and it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them get that spot and it was certainly between those two in my head um, but I think Blades are just about the more likely um, to get over the line in my book interesting joining West Brom Borough and Blackburn in my predicted playoffs I've got to be honest I'm not having Huddersfield lasting the course. I know it sounds like a horrible like throwaway comment. What they've done is way beyond my expectations for them this season. There's so much that I am so impressed with, particularly in terms of, uh, I suppose, re-rating the manager, Carlos Corbran, and what he could be. I'm, I'm not having them lasting the course in sixth spot. I'm concerned by Stoke's recent performances, as mentioned, particularly defensively since Suta's injury. And actually, in the week or two before his injury, they look uncharacteristically loose, lax. And I'm not sure if they have the right blend to firm that up. And if they do, I'm not even sure that they have enough goals in them at the top end of the pitch, which was initially my issue with them pre-season in terms of projecting them into a playoff team. You've mentioned Sheffield United. They are the key disruptors here for a number of reasons. The other teams in and around it, I think we have a fairly decent steer on what they are, on what their ceilings are, what the best case is, and also what their flaws are. And I think the variability on that front with Sheffield United is huge because, yes, they've cranked out four wins in a row under Heckingbottom. In that time, they've beaten three of the worst teams in the league and probably the best in, in Fulham, of course, uh, with that game uh, a couple of weeks ago. They've got, as you mentioned, either two or three, or in Huddersfield's case, four games in hand over the teams above them. And they're in the bottom half and they're, they're eight points off it with six teams between them and the playoffs. So there's just so many factors at play here. Two points per game gets them to 80 points. 2.25. If you think Sheffield United could be the best team in the league or the second best team in the league from this point, that would take them to 86 points. I don't think that I'm comfortable yet saying that they are that good. I just don't think we've seen enough from them necessarily. And I've been very impressed with the start that Hecky's made, but I am still leaning towards QPR as my last playoff team. QPR have had a sensational year. Basically, from this point, they've been consistently third, fourth best, best team in the championship. That's a lot of football. That's a whole year's worth of football. That is consistency. And that makes one of my general concerns about QPR, that they might be the sort of team that's a bit streaky. They might be the sort of team that isn't quite good enough defensively, that might go through a bit of a cold streak in front of goal. I think a year is probably enough for me to say, like, actually, I, I need to dial down those concerns when it comes to QPR. There's nothing that they've done to suggest that they are particularly vulnerable. I know that you weren't saying that they are. You just think Sheffield United can make up the points difference. But I thought about this a lot, and I'm I'm putting a couple of slices of Warburton's in the toaster. I'm, I'm buttering it up, and that's what I'm eating at this moment in time. It will be a tough January with Chair and Dieng away. They've got probably three, four, maybe five games without them, depending on how deep they go into the com uh, competition. I thought about Forest pretty strongly as well. I probably see Forest picking up the same amount of points as QPR, if not a couple more between now until the end of the season. 
but seven points between those two teams, QPR and Forest, and Forest to play the game more. I'm going QPR to round out the playoff places. Um, the relegation three, George, I'll take it uh, first. Otherwise, you're just going to say all the things that I was going to say, and I'll never say anything original. Yeah, that's fair. I've got the current bottom three as my bottom three, in no particular order, Derby, Barnsley, and Peterborough. I'd say based on history, George, and just general EFL anecdotalness, one of them mm. probably stays up. One of them probably just does something mad and stays up because that's you know, that oh, tends to happen. is this the backtrack? This is what we've been waiting for. This is Ali Maxwell saying Derby County could stay up. No, I mean not necessarily. No. I just think one so of when you say one of them. Are you one saying of them. posh or Barnsley? Well, I'd say they're more likely. Yeah, they're a lot closer <laughs> to safety. Um, well, three points now. Unless Reading truly, truly fall into the sea, I find it difficult to make a case for either Barnsley or Posh to suddenly catch fire and fly past some teams. I think, personally, that Cardiff and Hull, who are just above it, I think they probably both pick up more points in the second half of the season as they did in the first half of the season. So, therefore, I'm not sure they get dragged into it. So, it's kind of all about Reading for me, really. And it's easy to be doom and gloom at the moment. They've just lost to Kidderminster. They're at an incredibly low point for a number of reasons. The dismay around the club, the poor the poor atmosphere has, has got to a pretty grim level. Um, but they have got probably better players, I think. And might a change of manager occur and get them a bit close, closer to where they need to be? Probably. Derby, I've done the maths again, I'm afraid, mate. I'm afraid I have. Uh, 1.57 points per game would take them to 44 points. Now, different years, different strengths of the poor teams in the division, different points to survive i think everyone understands that this year looks low which is good news for derby it looks like it'll be quite a low point tally for survival i'm going to guess at 44 they'd need to get 1.57 points per game to get to 44 and then they could easily stay up if they get to 44 45 points but that 1.57 ppg that's what huddersfield and borough have hit overall this season those are the sixth and seventh placed teams as we record so I'm saying Derby need to be a playoff chaser. Not necessarily a playoff team, but a proper playoff chasing level team. And I don't think the way that they play will see them win enough games. Um, it gets to the point as well, George, where they're obviously not a bad team. They don't lose many games. So they draw a lot. Each draw becomes more and more of a problem when you need to hit 1.5, 1.6 points per game. One point in a game puts way more pressure on the next game to be a, a win. I'm not sure how long you can cope with that pressure because every draw is a is a bad result if you're trying to stay up, ultimately. That puts a lot of pressure yeah. on. I'm not sure they're good enough to pick up the wins necessary. Barnsley and Peterborough... I that feels, sim- just just to say, I mean, yeah. I know it's, we don't want to go through this too much, but and I get they've drawn a lot of games this season, but they have they have won you know, three of their last four. So it's not like they're, they're kind of just staying in it by getting draws. They are, they are winning games too. But yeah, okay. In general, they have drawn many more games than they've won. Four more games than they've won. In fact. Yeah, and I'm saying they, yeah, they need to really make sure that done. make sure that the eleven draws that they got uh, in the first what 20, 19, 20 games of the season, Basically, ten draws. Make sure, make sure, make sure they keep turning their um, their draws into wins. What I'm going to say, George, and this is <laughs> maybe the most controversial thing I've ever said on the podcast: Derby County should try and win more football matches if they want to achieve what it is that they yeah. need to achieve. They should. They, they should continue. Yeah. Do you have anything to add on the relegation trio? <laughs> no, no, those are the same three that I've got as well. Um, I mean, I, I do wonder if, you know, given Peterborough's, um, you know, we're recording this 10 days into January, given Peterborough's clear ambition, um, if, if there is a side, 
in the championship in uh, kind of towards the bottom end who could um you know really try and pull some irons out of the fire um with regards to to transfers they 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 could be one to do that maybe um they have a, a decent recruitment um team they they can recruit well from league 1 and league 2 they wouldn't be afraid to go out and spend big to get the best of of league 1 talent um the, the one team who i well, the two teams I was a little bit concerned about. Um, I mean, Cardiff have to come into this with a big question mark. I know that Steve Morrison's done okay so far, but given that he's a, a rookie manager who we don't know a great deal about, the fact they've recalled Ryan Wintle from from Blackpool after a very good spell is a is a big positive in my book. But losing Ryan Giles is a massive negative. So they would be probably the one that I would also be concerned with. But when you look at, the, again, the point gap, it is, well, it's four points. It is four points. So I would say, I mean, you said Reading. I think probably Cardiff would be the ones I would be the most worried about uh, if Posh were to, to turn that around. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that means in the Championship, we've both got Fulham and Bournemouth finishing in the automatic promotion places. We've both got Derby, Barnsley and Peterborough being relegated. I'm very surprised you've got Derby going down. I thought it was a lock that they stayed up. Um, <laughs> uh, just nope. to just to flip this just, just to flip this funny narrative that I'm anti Derby. It's very <laughs> surprising to me, given that you are incredibly pro Derby, that yeah. they're not staying up, given how many games that they've won in their last four. Uh, and Three. in the playoffs, we both think that West Brom, that Blackburn, and that Middlesbrough will have a couple of extra games in May. I think that QPR will join them, and you think that. I think uh, Sheffield United will join them. The Blades. Those disruptive mm. Blades. So only one thing we're going against each other here in the Championship. What about League 2? The top two. I'd like you League to two. tell... What about League 1? The top two. <laughs> Talk me through. I think it's quite clear... Well, in my eyes, there's there's a top three. Okay, There are three teams that go into two. Rotherham, Wigan and Sunderland. Now, I know Wickham fans will probably say, excuse me, look where we are on the table. Look, we've just drawn three all with one of the teams that you're saying is one of them. There's a four-point gap between Sunderland and Wickham. In my view, Sunderland are a better side than Wickham. I think they probably showed that on on Saturday. And um, I anticipate that those three teams will, will end up being the top three. So it's working out how which of those two fit into the into the top two spots now i've been well i think we've both been pretty steadfast in our um view that rotherham are the best team in the division this season ignoring the first five or six games of the season where they were poor right now this very moment where you and i are recording is probably the time where i've had the most doubt that that is the case um, for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because Sunderland, in my eyes, are playing at a far higher level than they were previously. Partly because the transfer request of Freddie Ladapo is so weird. Um, not only does it weaken them on the pitch, but it's just very un-Paul Warren's Rotherham to have a, a, a player, a senior player, an important player, step out of line like that and, and actively look to lead the club. And reports seem to, to suggest it's not even because... There is a, a suitor who is who is trying to, to sign him, which seems very bizarre. Uh, partly because we've seen Rotherham's performances over the last couple of weeks wane as well. Taking that all into consideration, I am now willing to accept that Rotherham might win the league by two points rather than ten. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I still think they're the best team in the division. I think what we've seen recently has been a bit of a dip, but I'm sure they will return to their former glories. And in Paul Warren, they've got a manager who's taken this club up twice before. I think it'll happen again. So it becomes a match bet, in my view, between Sunderland and Wigan. Um, Sunderland have played four more games than Wigan. 
Wigan have got 45 points from 21 games. Now, there are two sides to this. Firstly, we have to acknowledge that this is going to be very, very difficult for Wigan from now until the end of the season. They are going to have a massive fixture pileup. And the 3-2 win against Blackburn on the weekend, as impressive as that was, doesn't really help it because it means they're still in the FA Cup as well. Having said that, they... You know there is a reason why they've got 45 points from 21 games, and that is because they are a very, very good side. Um, yes, they've lost Charlie White, which is a big blow, um, but I think as we saw in the summer, and knowing the people who are behind their recruitment, they are one of a group of five or six teams in the EFL who I am overwhelmingly confident that if they bring in players in January, they are going to be good signings. Uh, they're a side right now at the moment in, in the EFL who I would trust to do that. And I know I have the financial wherewithal to do it as well. Um, th- th- those four games in hand, it would be foolish of Wigan fans or anyone else just to attribute 10 points or whatever to those given on given their um, points per game ratio. But they, even if they stuttered, even if they were to, to lose three of those four games or whatever, they're still going to be within touching distance or alongside Sunderland going to the rest of the season. Um, I- I'm not necessarily convinced Um that that will happen. I think we've seen enough from Liam Richardson, enough from Wigan this season to, to know that they are going to continue to operate at a very high level. And they are a side who, maybe unlike Sunderland, as we saw on the weekend, um, are very good at getting over the line in games and seeing games out as well. So, I mean, there's not much between them at all. I, I'm not, I don't think that we're going to necessarily a much better side than Sunderland, but I do think if I had to, you know, the, the bookies have these two basically um, side by side in terms of, of finishing in the top two. Uh, I would just about lean on the side of the team who I think over the course of the season so far have proven themselves to be the better of the two in Wigan. Well, the Betfair Sportsbook leans towards Sunderland and I've always respected the Betfair Sportsbook traders more than you. And I also Uh, lean towards Sunderland. Really, really tough. Uh, Certainly, with all due respect to the other runners and riders in this race, I'm sticking with Rotherham my pre-season stance. I agree with what you said, by the way. This is probably the most vulnerable I have felt as a Mary Miller for a few months, or rather a Mary Miller backer for a few months, but I still believe. So it is Sunderland versus Wigan for me, and I think it's a fascinating question. Uh, It's Sunderland for me. I've lent the way of what I deem to be a higher ceiling it's so difficult. It's so difficult, particularly with all of the games in hand. I take all of the points that you make about how powerful those Wigan games in hand could be. I'm going to choose to focus on the positives about Sunderland mainly here. I really like the way that Lee Johnson's managing the club. I didn't necessarily assume that I would think this way a year in or however far in they are. I like the way that he is managing the expectations, seemingly managing the board managing the fans a lot of managers most of his predecessors have failed on a number of levels on that front on the pitch he certainly succeeded in one key area and that is style of play where others have certainly failed and that's where I'm really excited I'm excited about how many goals Sunderland are scoring and how this is not backed up by the way by any deep research or statistical analysis I think a team like Sunderland, who starts scoring a lot of goals at this point in the season, can just fly from here. I think second half of the season, particularly when there's more and more teams that they will come up against who have 
not a huge amount to play for and might just lack a little bit of motivation compared to Sunderland. I think this is where a team like that can really fly. They've scored 19 goals in their last six games. It's more than three per game. They've scored 50 and 25. They're the top scorers in the league. And with all these guys fit, Pritchard, Gooch, Embleton, Neil, Stewart up top, it's not that surprising albeit very exciting, that they are scoring so many goals. It's a system that seems to get the best out of them. It's a style of play that's getting the best out of them. They're packing, attacking technical players on the pitch. And finally, Sunderland are playing a really good attacking style of play and hurting League One teams in the way that they should have for the last four years. Now, their defensive numbers will be what does for them, if anything. They've only got this 15th best XG against from open play in the whole division per Opta analyst. And that makes me wince because generally... I would want my team finishing in the top two to be better defensively. I do feel like this pick's going against my normal sort of stance, to be honest. It's certainly not a data pick, which I'm sure won't have uh, escaped you. Wigan's XG ratio much stronger, much more consistent in their performances up to this point. They've got the games in hand, and they certainly feel more sturdy. They've got, to their credit, a great experience throughout the team, a really strong spine, quite a repeatable style of play, create chances and don't give up too many. But I personally don't think... Their ceiling is as high as Sunderland's. And that mostly comes down to goals, goals scored, that is. Uh, I think that Sunderland can kick on to another level. And I'm not sure that Wigan will. They're just some some nagging doubts that they've had their best they've had their best periods of the season already. And that could be completely wrong. I actually think squad depth is a bit of a concern for both sides. So I didn't really give either the edge there. I definitely don't think Wigan are going to implode and tumble down the table. Um, I think their mentality is excellent. And as I say, I think they're a very consistent team probably have a bit more grit than Sunderland, but I'm leaning towards Sunderland just catching fire, just starting to blow teams away. I think they can do that. That's why I've got Sunderland with Rotherham as my top two. You've got Wigan with Rotherham. The playoffs, four teams each. I'd like to flag up before we start the disruptors, Ipswich Town. They are clearly the disruptors here. And by disruptor, if it wasn't clear with me calling Sheffield United that, I'm talking about the team that's a fair way off that probably have some quite good players, that might have made a manager change, that were expected to be a lot higher, and might have strung together a couple of good performances, a couple of good wins, and you just, they're the easy ones to look at and think, mm, yeah, I can see it. So Ipswich is almost where we have to start here, because they're the obvious disruptors. Talk me through your playoff thoughts in League One. Well, just just picking on Ipswich because I mean they aren't one of mine. Um, I would say they're they're kind of the reverse Forest, where I anticipated I'd look at the the odds on the sports book and see they were still a massive price, um, and think they were probably more likely to do it than the price suggested. But they are they are twenty three to ten um, to get in, so they aren't they aren't a huge price to do so given they're currently tenth. They are eight points off the playoffs, and they have played the most games of any team in twenty five. You know, you're looking at sides, <clears throat> Oxford, who played the same amount of games as Ipswich. You are look, you're asking Ipswich to main, make eight points on them for the rest of the season. I think that's going to be very difficult. And I think they'll run close. They'll probably go shorter than 23 to 10 between now and the end of the season. They were certainly very impressive on the weekend against Gillingham. Um, but I think this would be, uh, if, if you're doing your most likely four, you know, that means you'd have to make Ipswich odds on. Um, to put them in there, and I, I do not think that's the case. Uh, teams who are odds on Wickham four to nine, I agree. Um, Oxford ten to eleven. Even though I'm smarting off the back of two really poor performances and results, I do think Oxford are just about more likely than not to get into the top six. This is a Kyle Robinson side who 
have quite have got into the playoffs for the last two seasons in a row. I think this is a much better team um, than those. Well, not a much better team. I think this is a better squad and a better team uh, than we've seen uh, in those previous seasons. Um, and even though we're recording this after a, a mini blip, which seems to constantly be. Um, an issue for for Oxford, you know, they are their best, one of the best teams in the division, but always seem to come undone in these just unforeseen poor patches against teams they really should be uh, better than. Um, or history also tells us that they will turn this around fairly soon and probably get enough points to get into the playoffs. So that leaves one last spot, and I was, I, I looked at Ipswich for a bit, decided against it. It kind of came down for me between two sides in. Um, uh, for me, it was between MK Dons and Pompey. And I'm aware that I've had first run on most of these. Um, we have had the same playoff teams for the three. And I'll let you go first if you'd like to in our in our next matchup. I've got Portsmouth mm. in my spot alongside Wickham and Oxford like you. And with Wigan, of course, where you have Sunderland in your playoff four. I've gone with Pompey. I Again, this was one where sitting down and thinking about this in depth definitely helped uh, to probably raise my expectation levels, dare I say it, my excitement levels for Pompey. I think that um, I don't know what it is about their very, very impressive run that they're on, but I feel like I might have slightly I might have not gone as big on it as I should have. Um, I think that Portsmouth of all the teams that we're talking about, and of course we're leaving out Argyle here we're leaving out MK Dons, we're leaving out Ipswich, of course, uh, as mentioned, Sheffield Wednesday, who are currently in ninth and not too far behind Pompey uh, on the same amount of points, in fact, having played a game more. I just believe in Portsmouth peaking at the right time here. The management duo of Daniel and Nicholas Cowley, a big part of that. They are a coaching duo who I trust in to continue to improve their team uh, in and out of possession, as they always like to say, who's improvement in front of our eyes over the last few weeks and months really since the start of the season where they didn't look anything special has been really impressive and I probably trust in the Cowleys a little more than I trust in Shuey at Argyle and Manning at MK Dons and certainly Darren Moore at Sheffield Wednesday I agree with what you said about Ipswich even two points per game from here which you know has to be the minimum target for them gets them to 77 and I'm not sure that would get them in because it's such a strong gang this year um, but I like Pompey. I, I'm interested to know if they're going to be able to add another one game changer of a player. It looks like Curtis is in good form at the moment. Harness has been excellent. Um, I, I, wa- I would want one more signing in January where I go like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He improves their starting <laughs> 11 undeniably. But overall, Portsmouth, I think they're, I think they're a good thing. I think they're a good thing. I think they might be a bit under the radar. I think their performances on both ends of the pitch have been very impressive recently, trending upwards, and I want to follow them all the way into the playoffs. So my playoff for Wigan, Oxford, Wickham and Portsmouth. George, yours, Sunderland, Oxford, Wickham and... MK Dons. Ooh. Um, yeah, it's been a funny one for MK Dons, where after so much pre-season optimism under Russell Martin, I think we thought they'd be one of the teams right at the top of the table, uh, losing their manager, bringing in Liam Manning, um, and they've ticked along okay. You know, they've had key players in um, Scott Twine and Matt O'Reilly, particularly having very good seasons. Um, a lot of talk about Matt O'Reilly moving on over January. But I think the key thing for me, and the reason why I've chosen them over Pompey, and, you know, we should mention Plymouth Argyle here massively as well. Um, Argyle are a... You know, have 
are there on merit and I've been keen to point that off out as often as possible this season but I just think it's going to be a tough ask for Stephen Schumacher coming into the job after being assistant to, to keep them there even though their strength and depth especially in attacking areas should give them that but I think you know three points MK Don's three points behind Argyle going into this part of the season three points ahead of Pompey having played a game more out of those three who do I think will pick up the most points to the end I think MK now losing O'Reilly would be a massive concern but as I said with Wigan that is you know this is the model for for MK you know they're they are a team who are going to look to bring through talent sell it on and then reinvest and as we've seen as we saw in the summer and crucially as we saw last January they are a club who are ready to recruit very smartly to make immediate impact um and I'm confident that if they are to spend in January, it's going to be to improve them. Given that they've been, I would say, middling this season, not much better than that, and they find themselves on the brink of the playoffs, it wouldn't take much improvement to get them there. Um, so if, I, I was surprised going into the process. I didn't necessarily think I would have them finishing in the top six, but they're the team that I came down on as being the ones. Uh, they're seven to five, same price as Pompey to do so. Same price as Sheffield Wednesday as well, who neither of us have mentioned. I think probably due to their recent poor form and some of the um, issues between the fan base and Darren Moore. But I think MK are the, are the most likely. I think that the bottom four has some interest for us and a differing view. Not on three of them. Doncaster, Crew, and Gillingham we both have in our bottom four. Now, the first thing to say is, if you haven't looked at the League One league table recently, and particularly at the bottom of it, there's a few teams that are very much in points terms, cut adrift somewhat. You've got Donny on 16, Crew and Jill's on 18. Then a jump to Morecambe, who are in the last play, uh, relegation spot on 23, five points ahead of Jill's. And then Fleetwood, Lincoln, Wimbledon on 25, all having played um, either the same or, in Lincoln and Wimbledon's cases, fewer games than the four in the relegation spot. So it's not a great look for a lot of these teams at the moment. Now, that's not to say that something special can't happen. We spoke about Donny last week. I spoke about what I considered to be the need for uh, an appointment that in the short term, if that's your goal, makes a miracle survival more likely. Now, they made an appointment that I don't think achieves that in Gary McSheffrey. It might be that they didn't have short-term very particularly in mind here and they were trying to build long-term. They want to find someone who connects with the club, particularly with a group of young players that they'd like to see developed. They can have different objectives. That's fine. Uh, but I don't think it makes them more likely to stay up. They are a very poor football team. Crew, out of Donny, Jills and Crew, probably the most likely to have a miracle survival, George. But that's really just because they're the only one of the three that I think has, and this is a tough thing to measure, the sort of spirit within the club to get them on a really good run, the sort of run where the results themselves and the good vibes kind of keep the wheels turning and then they keep going and keep going. I don't think that's likely. I just think they're the most likely to have it of the three. I think it's too much to ask from a group of players, so many of them so young, to just in a league with so many teams that seem to slice through them at will. Uh, Jill's hard one at the moment because they're currently managerless. I would suggest that my general stance was that Steve Evans, and um, particularly in the last two seasons, was th the man to credit from for Jill's punching above their weight at this level. Certainly compared to the the quality in their squad, hard to know about budgets, but pr 
predicting that they're kind of down there. Um, it would have to take something sensational for me to be like, yeah, Jill's are, are on for a miracle run, but you never know. I don't really trust the the, manage, uh, the chairman, rather, Paul Scally, to make the right decision on that front. I think Lincoln and Wimbledon look okay at this moment in time, but that there's not loads of room for error for those two teams. I think they both need to be careful, but I think that we've seen Wimbledon and Lincoln's best be more than good enough to win games, even against the top teams in this division. I'm not sure you can really say that about the others. So for me, it's between Morecambe and Fleetwood. Morecambe have played one more home game and one less away game from Fleetwood. So that's a, a tick in the Fleetwood box there. They got an extra home game, one less away game than Morecambe. As a team, a football team, I feel Fleetwood are playing to a slightly higher level than Morecambe at the moment. Um, so on a, on a footballing level, I probably lean towards Fleetwood. But for some reason, I've got a non-footballing related stance, really, George. I think, I think firstly, Morecambe, they feel to me more likely to sign players in January to improve their starting eleven. Maybe off the back of that FA Cup cash. We know they got a decent windfall in the summer. They were able to basically build a whole squad. Now, obviously, a lot of those players already look like they're not quite at it and they might need replacing. Fleetwood seem to me, George, to be more likely, as they have done with James Hill, to be looking to cash in on some of their younger assets um, and to be, as we've said, they've kind of been going down this direction that doesn't scream short-term results, that more screams like, we need to start cutting our cloth accordingly financially. So I kind of lean towards Morecambe a little bit in terms of what might happen over the next few weeks uh, in terms of squad building. And then there's just this nagging feeling about the spirit of the places. Again, impossible to measure. I won't waste too many words trying to define it. I feel like there's a better spirit at Morecambe FC than at Fleetwood Town at the moment. Now, what is that all worth? I don't know. When you chuck all of those things into the cauldron and you stir it around, what does it taste like? For me, it tastes like shrimp. I'm going to lean towards Morecambe for sort of non-tangible reasons. There you go. Uh, who do you think? Yeah, I've got Morecambe going down. Um, I don't disagree with the last part. Well, I should say, I do think... I I, I'm leaning towards Morecambe <clears throat> staying up. I don't think I made that clear. Yeah. I'm leaning towards Morecambe got... staying up and Fleetwood going down with Donny, Crew, Jills. You're leaning the other way. Yeah, I mean, I've got Donny Crew and Gillingham as well. Um, I think Gillingham, it's a massive appointment, this next one, uh, unsurprisingly. Um, you know, Michael Flynn's being linked to the job, which would be a good appointment. But what I, even though I'm, I'm not a massive Steve Evans fan, what I would say is that his record shows us that he's a fairly competent manager. I think Gillingham's squad is abysmal. And I think whoever comes in, it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if the end of Steve Evans sees... Unless they do an, uh, bring in an incredible appointment, I think they could really spiral, and it wouldn't be a massive surprise to me if Gillingham end up finishing the season bottom of of League One. Um, between those two, I mean, the one thing I would disagree with you on is possibly your um, assessment of Fleetwood now, where you know I, I know that he's not necessarily an amazing League One player, but I think going out and paying a fee for Ellis Harrison from Pompey is the first sign of life for a while from Fleetwood that maybe they are willing to invest in order to try and preserve their their safety um because I agree with you the last 18 months it hasn't looked like that in, in that way at all um it's a bit of a statement of intent I would argue to, to get him in um and with with Morecambe you know having um I think Stephen Robinson's attacking style of kind of creating chaos is probably no bad thing for a relegation battle we know that they are um, even if they're struggling, they are going to be an attacking threat. And as long as Carl Stockton's playing up top, you know, one of two things is going to happen with Stockton. Either, either someone's going to pay the money that they're asking for him, in which case they can reinvest that. And I would argue they would be better off for it. Or they're going to have a, a player up front who 
is always going to cause opposition defences problems, and that's important. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure with Stephen Craney if he's a good manager or not. It's hard to really ascertain, but he certainly has got off to a fairly decent start, and wins like the one at Doncaster are important for them. So, I mean, there's not a great deal between the two. It's currently two points and, and, and a fairly big golf in terms of of uh, goal difference, which kind of makes it three points, uh, unless there's a massive change there. Um, and I think Fleetwood, it, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if you're right. I think Fleetwood are just about the most likely. I, I think I possibly would have had Lincoln um, as the next most likely after Morecambe uh, if they hadn't turned into Barcelona on Saturday. Um, and uh, of the teams above them, who could spiral towards them? Because there probably will be. I think we can be basically sure that there will be one or two teams out of Burton, Cheltenham, Charlton, Shrewsbury, Cambridge, Bolton, AFC Wimbledon, who will go on a bad run of form and will go into it. I think AFC Wimbledon and probably Cambridge are the two most likely. Um, the way they're playing at the moment doesn't suggest for a second that they will, but purely in terms of resource um, and personnel, they're the two clubs who you could probably see going through a really, really poor run, which would bring them into into the mix. But yeah, I have Morecambe as the most likely beyond the three to go down. Great stuff, George. Let's move on to League Two then, which has a top three. But really, there's just two things that we're interested in here because neither of us are predicting that Forest Green will drop out of this top three. They are in both of our automatic promotion places, unsurprisingly. Now, I'm going to get in front of the rest of this, George. I've got no idea after this. <laughs> you messaged me first to say, Ooh, League Two's hard, isn't it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I mm. haven't got there yet, mate, but I'm sure it's, it can't be that hard, can it? You know, it's just League Two. Oh, boy, trying to measure... Tranmere, Northampton, Sutton, Swindon, Port Vale, Newport, Exeter, Mansfield, Orient. That's about as hard as it gets for me right now. If anyone if anyone in our NTT20 squad predictions comp gets three out of three, I will be astonished here. I am going to pick one team to join Forest Green based on who I think is most likely to go on an amazing run, like an extended amazing run. And I've gone with Port Vale FC. For the last time, potentially, if it doesn't come off, I'm going to lean on this idea, this opinion, George, that Daryl Clark can make a team catch fire in the second half of the season. I think there's been a lot to like already. I think the bones of this Port Vale side is excellent. I think they are very good defensively. I think they're good enough going forward, particularly um, with the likes of Conlon and with Worrell providing the bullets. Now they've clearly had trouble up top recently with a, an unprecedented injury issue with a ton of strikers out. I see that they gave Brentford a very good game on the weekend with James Wilson back and playing up front with a moo up front um, with a young a youngster called Kean Harrett who they've got in on loan from uh, Huddersfield who is a striker as well. So if your big thing with Vale is like, oh, well, they've had this striker issue, I'm here to tell you that's over now. And I think they're going to start moving up the table. I think they finish in the top three for me. Um, and then the next one, I sort of, I wanted one of these sturdy defense first teams that I think could just grind out points through the winter, uh, which means I'm choosing in my head between Northampton and Tranmere because they have a lot of points on the board, the current second and third place teams. I'm leaning towards Cobblers. It's hard for me to put my finger on something massive that splits these two sides. I think ultimately... They're not massively dissimilar, uh, but I think Northampton are a better attacking side. I'm more, I'm more confident of them scoring more goals than Tranmere from here on to the end of the season. And defensively, not a lot in it. I know Tranmere's goals against Colin would suggest that they're the best League Two team of all time defensively. 
I just, it's just not, we just can't, if I said, yeah, yeah, I'm just ignoring the fact that they give up a ton of chances, a lot of expected goals because, you know, they've been blessed, then, then I would have to change the whole way I think about football. So I'm going to pick Northampton to join Port Vale and Forest Green in the top three. And I was genuinely astonished to see that you've done the same thing. Yeah, I know. What? Weird. That this is genuinely weird. I know I said well, earlier we we've got our own little vacuum here. We obviously think in the same way about football and life in many in many uh subjects, but I was astonished. As I say, there's like ten teams at play here and we've both landed on the same ones. We spent loads of time talking about League Two football to each other, which actually we don't, uh, when we're not retor- recording a podcast. Um Yeah, just with Tranmere. Tranmere are the, are the glaring omission here. Um and I think it would just be easy to fall into the trap of picking a side, as you mentioned there, who are currently in the middle of a very good run and who are enduring yet another unsustainable defensive stint. Um, if there is one team in the whole of League Two that I'm most confident in saying will have a, a poor run fairly soon, it is Tranmere. So therefore, even though they've done incredibly well to get where they are, and they're definitely in my playoff batch, um, there is, they are a side I'm happy to get against. And I think there are teams around them who are kind of better and will be better over the course of the season. There's a really poor performance from Northampton um, in getting beaten over the weekend, 1-0 at home. But over the, you know, we, we know they're a very solid team. We know that their normal defensive solidity is based on good numbers. And in Port Vale, you know, Port Vale have got games in hand, which isn't necessarily a great thing, but I think at their best, and with Daryl Clark, they are, um, you know, they'd probably be the team I'd I'd pick to come second, even though they've got a bit of a way to catch up. So I am totally in agreement with everything you said, and I've just repeated most of it. I I, I can't believe that, but I guess I'm excited to an extent. Uh, so I in the playoffs, so. we've both got Tranmere um, for the reasons that you mentioned. Uh, who else have we got, or rather, George? Who else have you got in your League Two playoff picture? Uh, so I mentioned Tranmere there. Who I've got? Uh, I've got Newport in there. Um, and this is purely because I'm a slave to the data, I'm afraid. That's that's basically it. I I can't look myself in the mirror and buy into the data side of things and take a team who are currently um, in the playoff picture, who are currently seventh, and who are posting really good numbers at the moment and leave them out, even though the results aren't great. They are second for the last four matches, second for the last eight matches, second for the last 12 matches in terms of actually ratio. That is the time, the time that James Robery has been in charge. They're creating chances. They're not conceding too many. Uh, and even though in my mind, from what I'm seeing, the last few weeks haven't looked as impressive, um, I cannot be somebody who buys into this stuff and ignore what the numbers are telling me. Um, so I have Newport in there. Um and then I've got my last two were Swindon, um, who have had a little poor run. Uh, they've lost Kane Kessler-Hayden, which is a big blow. Um, but again, they're another side who I'm pretty confident, given what we saw in the summer, that I'm, I'm pretty confident they are going to be a side who can recruit well. And I think certainly clubs will be happy to send their players on loan there, which is important under Bengano because of their style of football and the way that they play. Um and the 5-2 win over Northampton was a return to form um, after a, a difficult run. And Mansfield, who, you know, are at the moment, they're three points outside the, the playoffs, but they are uh, they have got games in hand and they are on this this incredible run at the moment. I don't think that run is sustainable at all. I don't think they're going continue, to continue to win every game. Um, but given how bunched it is there, um, you know, it, this is a case of can they catch Sutton, who they're seven points behind with two games in hand, was sorry with one game in hand. Um, can they overtake Exeter, who they're two points behind? Um, I think that they probably can. I think under Nigel Clough, they have one of the best managers in the division. They are operating at a very high level, 
Um, this is no, by no means a lock. They're my last choice of the four, probably. Um, but I think having, you know, I, I, I would have liked to have put Sutton in there. But if I was choosing which one I th- who I think is more likely to get over the line, I think it would be the Stags. And I was amazed, Ali, when I saw that wasn't a view shared by yourself. The big headlines from the League Two playoff picture. Maxwell Stag party cancelled. <laughs> that better not happen, by the way, in April. The second headline. I, I agree. On the flip side, George Ellick takes his jacket off. So, mate, you love Kenny Jacket so much that some people have genuinely started mm. wondering if he's your dad. But well, I know he isn't. But a lot of people have thought, is there a familial connection here? Because, you know, you love him. You think he's amazing. Well, I've got a Leighton Orient in the playoffs. I've got Jacket on and no stag party. And I've taken my jacket off at the stag party. Don't twist your ankle again, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got Tranmere as well. Newport, because of what you've said, I'm very encouraged by what I've seen under Robery. I like the way that he is operating so far. Uh, Swindon, I really went back and forth over Swindon. Uh, f- confusingly, I feel like they have both the potential to massively catch fire and fly into the top three and blow teams away, a bit like what I said about Sunderland, but also just... A couple of nagging feelings that even though they look very pretty, even though they got some brilliant players and sometimes they put it all together, that there's just too many games where it doesn't work. It being system style or just not the quite the right blend uh, in that team. So I didn't have them in the top three, but I couldn't quite put them outside of the playoffs because I, I do think on their day, they're about as good as the division sees. Uh, I've got Orient over Stags. I, I honestly, George, I would have rather not commit any time to thinking about this i'd have rather just thrown some darts at a board it seems insane to go against sutton to be honest with you mansfield are league two's disruptors because of the form that they're on where they've come from there it's not even a late run that they're making it's like a mid-season run that they're making and i just have no confidence of being able to definitively say what level they are actually at because we've seen two very good runs and one horrendous run who knows? Uh, I've given up on Bradford completely um, with regret. A lot of my anti-post slips have Bradford in them in, in a certain <laughs> way. But I've gone for Leighton Orient. This comes down to, I think, the um, the structure, the foundations that Jackets put in place, by which I mean shape, um, difficulty to play through, basically all things defensive and out of possession. I think they're very, very good. Uh, they've got two strikers who we know this season are causing defences a ton of problems with um, the, the sort of tenacity and the instincts of, of Drynan and the size and quality of Harry Smith. Uh, I know that they've lost James to injury and, and that's a, a sort of gap to plug. They've got quality players outside of that lot as well. Like I saw on the highlights, little Smith, who we've kind of forgotten about, mm. uh, looking quite dangerous, buzzing around if he can stay fit, which he never seems to. They've got Kemp. Um, they're, they're a good side, and I know that they've drawn a lot of games. I think those games, more often than not, are going to turn into wins in the second half of the season. I've got Orient punching their way into the playoffs, not Mansfield. So, the bottom two in League Two, we agree, but it's not the current bottom two, George. We've both decided that our stance on Colchester United being very bad is strong enough that we've both picked Scunthorpe to get above them. Uh, yeah, I, I guess. I mean, with Oldham, um, it doesn't really need too much explanation, I don't think. Um, they are a very poor side who are bottom of the EFL, and it's it's hard to really make a case as to why that will change. Um, with, 
yeah, I mean, Colchester have been poor for not just this season, for last season as well. Um, and the key is, so is that Stevenage, yeah, but Stevenage and Scunthorpe have done something about it. Mm. Um, Colchester have tried last season. They've got Hayden Mullins in this season. I think we've seen enough this season to, to see that there isn't a great deal there. It's improved from the back of, of last campaign. Um, you know, by no stretch of Stephen or Scunthorpe, but under Keith Hill and and Paul Tisdale, suddenly massively turned it around. But we've seen enough in their performances in recent weeks. I think that they have they are turning a corner. You know, we saw Scunthorpe beat Oldham three one away from home. Um, we see, we've seen um, the, the Stevenage performance and win over Walsall just on the weekend gone. There's clear progress, and I think Colchester have kind of gone into this season especially the, the recent part of the season, assuming that they're going to be okay, assuming there are going to be two teams worse than them. And I'm, and I'm not necessarily sure that there are. And that, again, has played out in the data massively. Colchester season-to-date XG ratio are bottom with 34%. This That played into last season as well. I'm not entirely sure there is a worse team than Colchester in, in, in the league so far. So with other teams around them picking up points, I, I think they are, in my view, the most likely team to make up the, the bottom two with Oldham. Uh, as it stands, unless something were to change, I agree. I agree. I think I'm. I'm just following my stance that Colu are just a couple of points worse than Scunthorpe, or a couple more points over the next however many games. It, it, it's not necessarily the logical or the most probable outcome if you if you put everything into the cauldron. They've got three games in hand over both of them. They've got three or four points more than both Scunthorpe and Oldham, but. I'm so down on Cole Yu, I have been for so long, and I don't think that lasts forever. As you say, Keith Hill, Scunthorpe, a poor last few games, seen bits and bobs for them. Haven't really seen bits and bobs from Cole Yu yet, and not entirely sure how that club is being steered from the very top and whether it's being steered in a, in a way that will help them sort of address what is a pretty big threat of relegation to non-league. I basically see this as like, imagine there are three people with broken legs running the 100 meter sprint against each other it's a t- know. it's a tough it's the watch. same every season it's a yeah. tough watch i think it's going to move very slowly i don't expect scunny to be above Colu in two weeks time or four weeks time or six weeks time but i think in what would it be 15 weeks time i think they might as well they might just pip them to the finish line so that's it from us uh in league two we both have Forest Green, Port Vale, Northampton as our top three. In the playoffs, I have Tranmere, Swindon, Newport and Leighton Orient. George has Tranmere, Swindon, Newport and Mansfield. In the bottom two, we both have Oldham and Colchester. George, in League One, I had Rotherham and Sunderland as my top two. You had Rotherham and Wigan Athletic. In the playoffs, I had Wigan, Oxford, Wickham and Portsmouth. Whereas you had Sunderland, Oxford, Wickham and MK Dons. Being relegated, we both had Doncaster, Crewe and Gillingham. But I've got Fleetwood going down and you've got Morecambe. In the Championship, we both had Fulham and Bournemouth as our top two. In the playoffs, West Brom, Middlesbrough, Blackburn. We've got them locked in. I'm picking QPR over your disruptors in Sheffield (laughs) United. And in the relegation picture, the three that are in it, are the three we've both predicted to go down. Derby, Barnsley and Peterborough. What an exercise that is, by the way. I hope there are people listening who might have paused at the start and given this some real thought. Every aspect of all three EFL divisions. It's not easy, is it? 
it's not easy. Uh, well, League Two especially isn't easy. And I'm sure there'll be a couple of teams in there that we probably haven't even mentioned who will make us look silly um, by having amazing second half of the season. And that's what makes it so enjoyable and so fun. Um, I'm intrigued to know who's going to make us look stupid. Hopefully not my, my beloved Oxford by finishing mid-table, but we'll see. Last season, 133 people took part in the predictions competition. There are only seven possible answers. Well, seven to get right. No one got more than four out of seven, and only five of 133 hit four out of seven. So that's the target to beat this year. Can anyone get five or more out of seven? The automatically promoted teams is what we're asking for. If you'd like to join in with the mid-season predictions competition, and you'd like to give yourself a chance at winning the prizes on offer, they are to be announced. But if last year's was a £50 Classic Football Shirts voucher and a £50 donation to a charity of your choice. And I'm promising that this year we're going bigger and we're going better. You can only imagine what we've got in store. You need to join the NTT20 squad. Now, long term, that does come with a monthly fee to be part of the squad. And I'm sure once you get on there, you'll find 130 people that will tell you exactly why it's a great place to be. But you don't need to spend a penny and you can have two weeks of a free trial on the NTT20 squad. You can join, you can check it out, be part of the conversation, be part of the best EFL community that exists online, full of support, full of insight, full of joy, quite frankly, and now full of a mid-season predictions competition. It's all set up and ready for you to enter. Just follow the link in our bio to join the NTT20 squad on Leveler today. Two-week free trial so that you can check out if it's right for you. And if not, you can cancel with no charge whatsoever. We hope to see you on there. Have a great time for the rest of your day. Thank you for listening to this Not The Top The 20 podcast. Massive thank you as always to our sponsors in Betfair for their continued support of the podcast, both the Monday pod and the betting show. That's what we'll have for you on Thursday to look ahead to a full slate. Touch wood.